0: And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Continuing on in Colossians chapter 1. Today, we wrap up our six points of emphasis for our Christian service, including the importance of our burden for the lost. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott.
1: I can't spiritually grow for you, and you can't spiritually grow for me. It's individual situation. We ought to focus on individuals. We ought to have at least one person we pray for who is a believer and one person we pray for who's lost. And we should make the focus of our love and prayers and service one lost person and one saved person at least. Because individuals are very important to God. And as God's children, individuals must be very important to us. Can you imagine the joy in heaven of the Carolinian preacher who close to 100 years ago gave the gospel invitation and a farm boy named Billy Graham came down the aisle to receive Christ? The power of one life. We must emphasize the individual. Fifth emphasis in this passage is exertion. I see it in verse 29, first part, please. For this purpose, that is presenting every man complete in Christ, for this purpose also I labor, striving, and I'll stop at the comma. You know, just like preaching has fallen on hard times in the evangelical church, working hard in Jesus Christ's service has fallen on hard times. Oh, I did that when I was younger. I'm really not interested in children. Work is my priority. I only worked in that ministry when my kids were at that stage of life. Exertion in Christian service has fallen on hard times. The Greek word here, which is translated labor, I labor, is one that says working to the point of physical exhaustion. Working to the point of physical exhaustion. I would say that cuts right across the grain of any thought that we might have that Christian service is if I feel like it, if I have extra time, it's cushy, and it's to be easy. Christian service is to be a labor, a working to the point of physical exhaustion. Doubt that? Let me give you some of the metaphors the New Testament gives to Christian service and Christian workers. Christian service is a race, a boxing match. A hand to hand combat. And Christian workers are compared to athletes, farmers, soldiers, under rowers, and those who have been crucified. We are to exert in our service for Jesus Christ to the point of exhaustion. Now, if that were only truth that I could preach to you about this, it'd be a little bit hard. But praise God, there's a second half to verse 29. And we're going to get to that just a moment. To recap, so far we've seen five emphases. The church, preaching, Christ in you, the individual Christian, exertion. And now the sixth and the last emphasis in the passage is indwelling power. Thank God there's a 29B and not just a 29A. I'll read the whole verse. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. The sixth emphasis is that we have indwelling power if we're born again. Yes, we are to labor to the point of exhaustion, but we do so according to his power, which mightily works within us. Could it be that his power is not mightily working within us because we're not exerting? Two things I want to show you. From the second part of verse 29, according to his power. The idea here is proportional to the reservoir out of which it's being ladled. If you are here today and you have $5 in your bank account and bless you, you choose to tithe on those $5 and you put 50 cents into the plate, bless you. If Bill Gates and Melinda Gates wandered into this church and they put 50 cents on the plate, they would not be giving according to their wealth, material wealth. When it says in verse 29, according to his power, how much power does God have? Unlimited. How much power does God have? All the power there is to have. We can serve and exert to the point of exhaustion tapping into the unlimited power of God, the power that raised the Son of God from the dead. According to, and it's his power, the power that spoke the creation, the universe, into being by the word of His mouth, the power that will defeat all the rebels of the last coup d'etat against Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. He'll slay them with the sword of his tongue. That's the power that we can tap into. The power that has made you and me brand new people to what we used to be. That's the power. We can serve Christ willingly to the point of physical exhaustion with the power out of the reservoir of God's power activated to us by the Spirit of God who lives within us. Sometimes I do premarital counseling for two people who have never been married and they are lost. They are not Christians. And I will go through through six weeks of biblical teaching about marriage with them. And I will say every time, every time I meet with them, you do realize that what I'm sharing with you from God's word about marriage right now is a Lamborghini without an engine. There's nothing wrong with the principles or the truth of marriage I'm teaching you, but you have no engine in your Lamborghini to do any of it until the Jesus Christ becomes your Savior and the Spirit of God comes to live in you. So right now we're just looking at a Lamborghini without an engine. There are too many Christians who are Lamborghinis who have the engine of the Spirit of God who don't draw upon his power. My friend Greg St. Kitts used to work for Dell Computer Helpline. He had a lot of funny stories people using the uh, disk tray out of their towers for coffee holders, and the mouse, Uh lady said her mouse didn't work, it's full of fibers. He said, where's your mouse? Well, it's under my desk, and when I press it with my foot, I can't seem to get get it to do anything. (laughs) Greg had a lot of ideas, a lot of stories, but (laughs) in the context of what I'm teaching you right now, one of the common questions he got as a Dell support phone call guy was my thing won't start. My computer won't fire up. His first question, is it plugged in? Is it plugged in? Are you plugged into the indwelling Holy Spirit? I didn't ask you if you have the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. But are you plugged into Him? Are you walking controlled by Him? Or are you grieving Him? Or are you ignoring Him? Six emphases. Six emphases that we should have as Christ's servants. You know, Taco Bell, I like to go to Taco Bell. I usually sit at Pastor Garver's booth. They put a brass plaque on the one in Morris where he used to always sit. I usually sit in his booth and Taco Bell's introduced a new breakfast menu. You heard about that, right? How could you miss it? Taco Bell sells all these things on their menu, but right now their emphasis is breakfast. We have all these options as Christ's servants, as Christ's children, redeemed children. We have all these options, but this passage says stress six. Stress six. Stress six. The church, preaching, Christ in you, the individual, exertion, and indwelling power. The church is emphasized when we get seriously committed to it. Preaching is emphasized when we receive it and don't grade it or criticize it. Christ in you is emphasized when we carry him well. At the last quarterly business meeting, someone pointed out that our brand new white church fans are unlettered. And the person who suggested we ought to get them lettered, and we will, said, and when they're lettered, whoever drives them better drive them accordingly, obeying the speed limit, courteous to pedestrians, not tailgating. Because when you put the church's name on a van, (laughs) you're saying that everybody in the van loves Jesus and wants to honor Jesus, especially the driver. And so we will emphasize Christ in us by carrying him well, not discrediting him in our business dealings or any other dealing. We will stress the individual as we ought by caring for one person. I challenge you to care for one lost person by praying for them and by trying to help them if you can have that access and by caring for one believer in our church. Phone them up this afternoon. You know, Pastor challenged me to care for one believer in our church family and I would like that to be you. Would that be all right with you? Could I watch your kids this week? We emphasize exertion in Christian work by stop being lazy. Some of us are running around here with five hats on, exhausted, and others of us come here on Sunday mornings for an hour and then just check out. We've got to stop being lazy. And how do we exert indwelling power? By walking in the Spirit. We ask in the Spirit of God to give us wisdom in parenting, and wisdom in schoolwork, and wisdom in relationships, and strength for the commute to the job site. And we don't do anything except we ask the Holy Spirit to empower us. These are the emphases of the text. May it be far more than an educational experience. Ferris Lord Jesus crown him with many crowns we would crown you by emphasizing this church in our commitment we would crown you by emphasizing preaching by receiving it and not criticizing it we would crown you by recognizing that you Lord Jesus are in us by your spirit we would crown you by loving and caring for individuals one lost and one within the church family. We would crown you, Lord Jesus, by exerting and by giving our best efforts even to the point of exhaustion in serving you. We would crown you, Lord Jesus, by drawing your power, which is available to us in the indwelling Holy Spirit. Lord, change the man in the pulpit and change the brothers and sisters in the pews. For we ask this in Jesus'
0: name, amen. And now, today's personal God
2: story. Good morning, my name is Thaddeus Pierce. I grew up in a Christian home where my parents were missionaries in the inner city of Jacksonville, Florida, where I was born. One could say I was exposed to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his saving work from birth. My parents always paid very close attention that I and my siblings knew for ourselves the love of God showed through his son Jesus, never forcing it on us, but being sure that we knew that is what they believed and hoped we would believe it too. When my parents moved back to the Bahamas, I was five years old, and it was in that year my mom asked my sister to read me this book called The Greatest Story Ever Told. The book simply and clearly explained how God made the world perfect, and made Adam and Eve the first two perfect human beings. Then it explained how Adam and Eve were tempted by sin and fell, thus causing sin to enter the world and us. And it clearly explained that only through a perfect sacrifice can man be saved from the ultimate death of sin. It explained that the ultimate sacrifice was Jesus Christ, God's son, who lived a sinless life and died for my sins and rose again to give us a new hope of a life in him. After I heard that and understood it, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. As I got older, I knew that I had been saved from sin and was a Christian, but at the time I didn't realize that meant living differently. Now I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I was delinquent or have some extreme stories about all the bad things I did. I was a good kid, for lack of a better word. I knew the Bible said that I must obey my parents and just do whatever the Bible said. At the time, that is what I thought it meant to be a Christian, and so that's what I tried to do. It was not until I was 12 when I attended the Christian Youth Sports Camp, Camp Bahamas, that even though I was a Christian, I wasn't really living for Christ. I viewed it as something you, one, do to stay out of hell or two, to be a good person. During that time at camp, I realized that Christianity was truly about giving my life to God and not just doing what he says. It was about having a relationship and giving your life to be used by God and to do his work. It was there when I rededicated my life to God. My whole view on life changed after that. God began to give me an overwhelming passion to do any kind of ministry I can for His glory, and He gave me a passion for studying His word so I can know Him more, and in turn, tell others more about Him. My life had meaning and purpose for the first time. It was not just about going through life, making the right decisions, but it was about living a life through God and fulfilling the mission He has for all of His children. So to anyone who is struggling with a reason for life, or someone who is just anxious about the future, whether it may be what college you want to go to, or if you can make the bills at the end of the month, I encourage you wholeheartedly to put that trust in Jesus Christ, and you will experience the peace and love that only He can give, a love and peace that gives you true purpose and passion. And that's my story. And now, help
0: for the hurting with the Director of the Christian Counseling Center, Pastor Frederick Arnett. Thank you for having us in your homes again
3: this morning. Last time we talked about Prepare Enrich and the fact that it has been around for about 30 years and has been refined to meet us at the point of our needs today. There are several areas that we look at with Prepare Enrich. We will deal with several of them this morning, and as I indicated before, I may I say it again, in the studio with me is my wife, Helen, and she will be uh, giving us some ideas about her experiences in dealing with these areas. One of them is we try to identify the strengths and the growth area of the couple that is we try to determine what is your strong area you are bringing into the marriage for instance if you have a wife who is fortunate to be very well acquainted or involved in finances Because you are the male, does not give you the right to take the finances over and give the impression, well, if I am making the money, or if I'm making more money, I should deal with the finance. If she is capable of dealing with the finance, we should let her deal with it, not that she deals with it on her own, but she should be the one who oversee the financial part of your relationship. You being involved in that is necessary, but don't try to do the job that she is quite capable of doing. Would you like to add to that,
4: well, Mrs. Anna? I've seen couples who, um, in spite of one being quite capable one might be a CPA or one might be an excellent bookkeeper but money the love of it does create quite a problem in any relationship whether it's marriage or business if persons are going to be uh, controlling with the money I've seen couples who felt like I came to this marriage and I'm now controlled like a child I have to ask almost like for a penny to go and purchase a candy and this is all a part of control and it could end up being very abusive and so I hear about um, yeah well this person might be a good person who can take care of money but if you you were living with someone who wants to take control, they're not going to want, even whether it's you, the financial or the officer, they're not going to want you to control their money. It's going to create a problem. I think a situation like this has to be discussed before entering marriage. And This is why, like you mentioned earlier, the PREPARE offers an excellent area of financial issues. You talk about whether you have bills, you talk about whether you are good at budgeting, you talk about whether you have um, issues with whether you want your money in a different account. These are things you have to be very upfront and honest. You don't wait until you're married and then try to Navigate this. Well, this should be talked about. You the, the prepare
3: stage. That is the reason for the prepare enrich, preparing you for marriage. And as I indicated before, this should be done together as a couple. Okay, let's look at another issue that we deal with: uh, exploring personality uh, traits. What would you say about that?
4: I think in many cases, people try to um, not appreciate who this unique individual is. Like Genesis 1:27 says, we made the image of God. And you find that sometimes spouses try to remake somebody, do a makeover job. Uh, you have to be what I want you to be. And I think this poses again uh, control and this can become very abusive you may say well abusive how when you want this person who might have been a very outgoing person now retreat and act like a mouse in a corner and can't even talk so we, we have to be careful when we are um, not trying to embrace and accept people for who they really are
3: one of the others that we won't get into today is strengthening your communication skills as a couple Um, But we dealt with communication skills uh, when we started this program some time ago. So we won't go into that, but we will pick up uh, next time we are able to
0: share with you. Thank you and have a good day. And now the Bible's answers to your Questions. A very practical question
1: that I will try to answer biblically this morning. The question is this. How do I live out Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4? Let me read Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so the question again is, how do I live out Ephesians 6, 1 through 4? Well, I need to take it apart a little bit to answer that question. First of all, references is made to children. Uh, here the Greek word is technoi, which means less than fully mature children, these are children in the truest sense of the word. They're not uh, adult children. They are less than fully mature children. It says that these kind of individuals are to honor their father and their mother. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Now, moving off of who the children are, what does it mean to honor Well, I'll tell you that honoring your parents is something you do not age out of. When a child turns into an adult, the child does not cease owing his parents' honor. But obedience is seemingly directed to these less-than-adult children. Let me illustrate. I honor and respect my mom and dad at all times. But I am not compelled to obey them as a grown man, as I was ordered to obey them when I was less than a grown man. This particularly comes into play when single Christians or married Christians feel called of God to the mission field, and they ask their parents, and sometimes Christian parents don't give permission. They want their grandkids not to be on the other side of the world or whatever else as a reason. And then they come to me as their pastor and say, Pastor, we sought to honor our parents and we told them God's calling us to wherever in the world and uh, they say, stay home. Do we need to obey them? Do we need to stay home? And then I go to this, these verses and say, well, you are no longer a technoi. You are no longer less than fully mature children. So, you always owe your parents honor, but you do not always have the obligation to obey them. Now, your obligation is to obey your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hopefully, Christian parents will never set themselves up against the Lordship of Christ in their children's lives, but unfortunately, it does happen sometimes. The command to fathers is interesting. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. What does that mean? It means that there are certain ways that fathers can stir up their children to have wrath or anger. And some of the ways that a father can do that is failing to do some things, failing to protect, failing to provide, failing to pray. And so the Christian father who fails on these levels long enough will provoke his children to wrath. Fathers aren't to do that. We are to protect, we are to provide, and we are to pray. But there's another way that fathers can provoke their children to wrath, and it's hypocrisy, saying something and not living it. That provokes a child to wrath if they see it long enough. Also, harshness, being a father that just can't be pleased, being a father that moves the boundary and the standard regularly to what you're asking your child to do. That provokes your children to wrath. Uh, Putting your children on what I call performance-based acceptance, either directly or indirectly saying to that child, I'm going to love you, especially if you are this way, or if you accomplish this in life. Performance-based acceptance puts your children on a treadmill, And it makes them feel that you only accept them if they are good, if they are accomplished, if they make certain grades in school. And that lived with long enough will provoke a child to wrath. There are other things that provoke children to wrath. Of course, neglect, either literal neglect or emotional neglect, Uh, Being in the same room with your child, but neglecting any consideration for their thoughts or their feelings, Uh, not even talking with them, perhaps, if the television is on. These are ways that fathers can provoke children to wrath. Another one, of course, is abandonment. Uh, A father who literally abandons his children walks out the door on the children and the mother and never comes back. That's devastating. That's going to leave a wake of angry children there are some men who leave without ever leaving. They live at the house, they sleep there, they eat there. They may even mow the lawn there, but they, they've abandoned these children. They just left them to themselves. And that also provokes wrath, abuse of any sort, mm-hmm. emotional, physical, sexual, mental abuse, of course, provokes any child to wrath. And uh, this should never happen in any home but especially in the homes of those who name the name of Christ
0: you have been listening to Echoes of Calvary a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church Nassau, Bahamas our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue we encourage you to join us feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas And remember, everyone needs a Savior.